Charlie told me good luck before I came up here. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> omen or a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you to the band for, for leading us in worship this morning. It was excellent. Um, that's not the right app. Hold on. I don't know if I broke it or if my iPad's going crazy. Give me just a second. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we've been moving through the book of Luke. Um, and one of the themes that we have, have seen over and over and over again is uh, that, that Jesus always does what he says he's going to do. Amen? I was thinking about that this morning, and this is going to lead into where we are today, but I, I opened my Bible a minute ago just to kind of get the reference in my head again. But in Genesis chapter 3, after uh, the fall, and God is explaining the consequences of, of Adam and Eve's disobedience, he, he says something to the serpent, and I don't have this up on the screen, but uh, in verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust uh, all the days of your life. And I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so there is this theme that is pervasive all through the Old Testament. There's this hope, this looking forward to the day that the one that will come that can finally kill the serpent, that will kill sin and death forever. And so this morning as we're, as we're getting started, uh, I want to just kind of keep that in the back of our mind. Last week we got to hear the, the testimony of Wanda Roche and her ministry in France and she came so that um, she could share with us, we could be praying for her um, and that God will send people her way as she works with refugees from, from North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, don't forget this week specifically to lift her up in terms of her visa and housing once she gets there. Both of those have, have been difficult. Two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 3 when Jesus was baptized, and then we went into his genealogy. And I was talking with God this week about the message for today. I'd intended to go into Luke chapter 4, um, but as I was thinking and praying about it, I felt like we needed to wait and we needed to talk more about the baptism of Jesus. I think there were some things that the Lord wanted to teach us through that that I didn't, I didn't catch the last time. Uh, the point that I made during the message two weeks ago is that uh, God basically, God says that Jesus is his son, and that's a big deal. Um, I moved pretty quickly past that. We moved into the genealogy. And this week, as I was, I was listening to uh, 10-Minute Bible Hour, which y'all have heard me talk about a lot, and Matt Whitman uh, was talking specifically about Jesus' baptism, and he likened it to if aliens showed up, like flying saucer, they showed up, and now we are not alone in the universe, there are aliens. That would be a big deal, right? That would make headlines, and it would make us think about a lot of things. Um, it, would, it would be a paradigm-shifting moment where now we're thinking about uh, creation, we're thinking about um, what does life look like in other places. Our brains are going to be in a different place. It would change all of our lives and how we look at the world, the cosmos, creation itself. Matt's point was that God speaking and his spirit descending on Jesus was this kind of paradigm-shifting moment. And that's what I want us to think about today. This is what I want our focus to be. We're going to look at this story again and consider the implications for the people that were there that witnessed this and then the implication for us today this far removed from that, from that scenario, from that moment. In these last few months, we've learned about the birth of Jesus and how much God uh, did and, and was active in that process, right? We've talked about how uh, God appeared to Zachariah in the temple when he went to fulfill his priestly duties, how God sent angels to speak to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds. We talked about how when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, just like God had promised, 
Uh, John was in her, in her belly and he leapt and was filled with the Holy Spirit at the sound of Mary's voice. We talked about how God sent Simeon into the temple to see Jesus and he prophesied about this is the long-awaited one, the one that will crush the serpent's head. We talked about Anna and how she prophesied over him as well. God, his activity and his agents are all over this story. It's a big, big moment. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 3 and we read about this moment where Jesus is baptized and says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the Lord spoke, in the midst of that, because we're, we're moving through this, this moment and passage, it's easy for us to, to just lump that on the mental pile of all the really cool things that God did, right? But what I want us to understand is, is that this is about 30 years removed from all of that activity. It seems super close because we've been working through this for the last couple of months. It seems like God's been doing all of this stuff and this is yet another thing in the midst of all of the things. But I want you to think about for a moment... How long 30 years is? Raise your hand if you've not been alive 30 years. Okay? Raise your hand if you have been alive 30 years. Okay? Now, those of you that have been alive for 30 years, I want you to think back to a story that happened 30 years ago. And I want you to think for a moment about how clear are those details? I, I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm getting some faces. But for me, if I try to recount a story that happened 30 years ago, the details are not all there, and they're not correct, right? And we know, I, I don't know about y'all, I like to inflate stories and make them sound better than they actually were, right? But, but my point is, is that when, when we're thinking about something that happened that long ago, it's a little bit fuzzy. And I have to think, in this, in this time, in this moment, 30 years have passed, and the story of all the things that God has done have gotten a little fuzzy for the people of Israel right? We, we see all of God's activity. We see all the things that he's doing. And remember, I told you two weeks ago when we were going through this, that Jesus was one of, I don't remember, 20 or 30 different people during that time period that claimed to be the Messiah. And, and that makes sense, right? Like there's this prophecy that happens in the temple and it says that Anna goes around to everybody in the temple and is telling them, this is the Messiah. This is the son of God that's come. And so now we have this moment in history Remember Roman occupation, things are not good. They've been living in an exile from Persia and all those other countries that have infiltrated and scattered and all of these things. And so in this moment, there's this moment in the new temple where this, this lady prophesies and says, this is the son of God. And now there is a moment to seize power where there wasn't an opportunity to seize power before, right? And so we got all these incredible things and then we have an opportunity for people to, to usurp that power and use it for themselves, and so in the midst of this 30 years, there have been these men who have said, oh, that, G that guy, that was, that was me, right? And they're trying to take the credit and they're trying to take the glory. Often we forget details, and details are important. And here's where I want to start us with today. I know this is, may sound weird at first, but I want us to go to, to Exodus Specifically, specifically chapter 14. If you've been with us for a couple of years, you'll remember when I first started as pastor, we, we studied the book of Exodus. And I want us to, to look at this. I want us to remember something specific. I want to frame this story. We're going to start pick up in chapter 14 and uh, verse 26. But we're going to pick up where uh, Moses and the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. Prior to this, we went through all the plagues. Finally, Pharaoh let them go. Israel, which is millions of people, leaves Egypt. All their free labor leaves. After they're gone, 
Pharaoh realizes what he's done, and he decides he wants to go capture them back. So he grabs up his army and his chariots, and he's chasing after Israel. And their backs are against the Red Sea. They see the greatest army in the known world coming towards them, and they're afraid. And God tells Moses, reach out your hands, and he divides the water, and Israel crosses through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is where we're picking up, Exodus chapter 14, verse 26. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it. The Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall on them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. And that last verse 31 is key. When they saw the great power of the Lord, they believed in him and in his servant Moses. The Egyptians pursue them back to bring back their free labor. God destroys the greatest army in the whole world. And then at the end of that, Moses and his sister both lead Israel in worshiping God and, and they head through into the wilderness towards the promised land. Okay? So we have this moment where something massive happens. God does a thing that no man could ever take credit for. Moses doesn't get credit for this. This is all God. And they recognize it and they worship God for it. Three days in to the wilderness, they begin grumbling because the water they found was bitter. But God makes it drinkable, but they still grumble and they complain. And so on the hills of that, God establishes a statue with them, uh, defining the relationship that God desires to have with them. Look at this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 25 through 27. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. This is Moses he's talking about. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. And the Lord made a statue and the ordinance for them at Myra. And he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, and pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. When we were going through this, I made the point that they're three days in, they're whining, they're complaining because they don't like the taste of the water that they got. And if they had just kept going, kept following God, he's got an oasis. Shade in the desert is a big deal, right? He provides water and he provides shade for them. That's a big deal. But look what happens next. Look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, because this is, this is leading to the point that I'm trying to make. Hang in there with me. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam, that's where the date palms were, and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. 45 days. 45 days removed from God destroying the greatest army in the known world. And they're complaining again. Complaining to the point they said, we would have rather died in slavery than to be freed into sin or into the wilderness of sin. In less than two months, they'd forgotten all that God had done. 
Point number one that I want to make today is that we easily forget God's goodness. In the context of Jesus' baptism, it's been 30 years or so since God had done all of those things at Jesus' birth. And there's a significant chance that most of the people that heard those stories had either long since forgotten or the details had gotten fuzzy at best. This is why I wanted us to take a step back and see that this baptism isn't just another really cool thing that God did in the midst of all of the things he was doing at Jesus' birth. In fact, God is about to seriously ramp up his activity through Jesus to help people to understand who he is, why he sent his son, and how we are to live in relation with God and with one another. In this paradigm-shifting moment, God speaks to the identity of his son and to let the world know that Jesus is the Messiah in the midst of all these people that are complaining, complain, uh, complaining <laughs> that are, are saying that they are the Messiah. In the midst of all of that, God opens up the heavens and he said, this is my son. And with him, I am well pleased. If the stories were circling about those miracles that happened at Jesus' birth, it's possible that those details were misconstrued along the way or forgotten. Raise your hand if you've ever played the telephone game in youth group growing up, right? That's one where you, if you haven't played that, let your life group know, I want you to play it at life group. As adults, it may be even more fun than as kids. But that's one where you sit in a circle and somebody whispers a message in your ear and usually it's loud in the room because nobody can be quiet. And that message goes all the way when it gets to the other side of the room. It's usually, you know, it started with my car is red and by the time you get to the other side of the room, it's my elephant is big, right? It's things like that. Like the story is completely different. And I think that that is the case here. But I want us to look this morning at Luke chapter 3. We're going to go back where we left off the other day. Uh, verse 21 and 22. It says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he, pray, as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him, on him like a physical appearance, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, son with you I am well pleased. Let's look at it in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. It says, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Or Mark records it in chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. He says, as soon as he came out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I want you to notice how similar the wording is in all three of those Gospels. They were not written at the same time. So you can look at this in two different ways. Number one, you could say, well, the authors uh, all knew one another's work and phrased it in the same way to bring validity to the story, right? That's, that's plausible. Or you can think, this is actually what was said. There were a lot of people around there. If you remember the story, droves of people were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And while they are there, Jesus shows up and gets baptized. And the heavens open up. And the Lord says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're there. The crowds have gathered. John's preaching a message of repentance like the prophets before him. John's calling for the people to repent of their sins. And to turn back to God in preparation for the coming Messiah. This was John's call to prepare the way for Jesus. John's preaching the message that God gave him. The people are hearing it and they're responding to that message. This day for them was like so many others. John's preaching. He's baptizing. 
And he's garnering so much attention that the religious leaders are even showing up and they're asking questions. Look at, it, look at this with me in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. It says, this is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. And by the prophet, they're talking about Isaiah. He said, who are you then? They asked, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? So they're asking John, you got all this attention on you. You're baptizing people. Who are you? Who sent you? What is your message? And this is what John says. He quotes the prophet Isaiah saying, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Someone stands among you, but you do not know them. He is the one coming after me whose sandals strap I am not worthy to untie. So the religious leaders, they're trying to figure out who this guy is. They're not in control of what's happening. As we know from the rest of Jesus' story, they want control of what's happening. Don't forget, church, how quickly we forget. Don't forget how quickly we forget. After what happened in the temple when Jesus was a baby, there's no doubt that the world would have heard the stories of those prophecies, okay? And then, in the midst of the people being baptized, in the midst of the the religious leaders questioning John, Jesus shows up. Look at it with me in John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, John and Jesus, they're cousins, like he knows who Jesus is, right? He sees him coming, he calls it out, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Now, John is talking to the religious leaders. That's who he's referring to. When he says, this is the one I told you about, he's saying, remember you asked me about this? This is the guy. This is him. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize you with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So point number two is that the baptism of Jesus marks a new era in the history of mankind. This is a paradigm shifting moment since creation there has not been anything that has had more significance than the person of Jesus as we walk through the next section in Luke we're going to see how radically Jesus's life will be in comparison to anybody that's ever lived God is about to do something through Jesus that cannot be forgotten throughout the history of God's people we have seen failure after failure to be the people that God created us to be Still today, we fail to be the people that God's created us to be. The difference is the life of Jesus. At this moment in our text in Luke chapter 3, Jesus steps into that water to take on the sins of the world. He is identifying with the people that he came to save. In doing so, Jesus is setting the stage for what he is about to do. He is about to complete what we could never complete. We'll talk about that more next week as we get into chapter 4. 
But what I want us to see today is that the testimony of God about Jesus is this paradigm-shifting moment for all people. For the religious leaders, it meant that they were about to be out of job because their job was to be the mediator between God and the people, but they were messing that up. The Messiah was going to remove the need for that mediator because he's bringing the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, the kids' video was about today, and I had not seen that yet. For the people that lived at that time, they're about to get their first real taste of the character and the love of God through the life of Jesus. And it is going to blow their minds. They're not going to understand how to deal with that at first. Jesus lived in a way that was foreign to people. He loved and cared for people with authenticity and with reckless abandon. He put them way before himself. For you and I, it means that the presence of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us when we trust our salvation to Jesus. We, like John, are going to have the opportunity, we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to point people to Jesus. Just a bit further into the story, the Apostle John recounts the testimony of John the Baptist about Jesus. Look at this in John chapter 3, verses 22 and 30. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside where they spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing at Anion near Salim. Because there was plenty of water there, people were coming and being baptized, since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. And John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love the imagery that John uses here at the end. I don't know if you've ever been a best man or a maid of honor. When you get to stand next to someone that you love and they're all dressed up and this is their special day, right? And you get to to just stand closely and watch. My favorite thing when I'm either, whether I'm performing the wedding ceremony or visiting, is watching the groom's face when the bride walks in the door. When he sees her for the first time, all the emotion. I don't care how big and stout and manly this dude is, when that bride walks in, he just just falls apart, right? And you get to stand there and, and be a part of that. And that's what John is describing about Jesus. Yeah, he's baptizing, but bro, it's the greatest thing ever. Look, look at the way that people are responding to him. Look at how the bride is looking at the groom and look at how the groom is looking at the bride. This is the whole point. Have you ever thought about why John is still baptizing after Jesus came? Have you ever wondered about that? We need to ask why. That's important. John continues to preach and baptize because there are still people that don't know who Jesus is or why he came. There are people who are still in need of repentance. That was true then and it's still true today. John's not around, but guess who is? We are. Us. Based on the Great Commission, it is our job to do what John did. To prepare the way for Jesus. To live in a way, in front of other people, that they get a taste of the true character and the love of God through our daily lives. The Apostle John elaborates on this 
uh, testimony in John chapter 3, verse 31 through 36. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The one who believes in the Son of eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life and said, he will see the wrath of God that remains on him. Church, we have unlimited access to God because of Jesus. This is so significant. This moment, the reason that I wanted to pause and have us meditate on this another week is that this moment, when Jesus, after he's baptized, he begins his public ministry. We're, he's going to go into the wilderness. We're going to talk about that next week. To be tempted, and I uh, can't wait to get to this. He's tempted in ways that we are tempted, but it's on a whole different scale than like the normal everyday stuff that we deal with. But this is so significant because it redefines the way that mankind relates to God forever. Think about, think about how the people prior to Jesus related to God. Once the Israelites escaped Egypt, they're in the wilderness, which, you know, 40 years and then God's, Jesus is going to spend 40 days. I love all the symmetry there. But when they're there, God establishes this is how we are going to relate with one another. If you're interested in studying that, I'll go check out Deuteronomy, Leviticus, those books of the Old Testament that lay all those rules out. And God said, this is how we're going to relate to one another. And when then Jesus shows up on the earth, he fulfills all the rules that we could never do. He lives the perfect life. And then when he dies on the cross for our sins, when he conquers sin and death, he fulfills the law on our behalf. And now the way we relate to God is not determined on our behavior but on who we are because of Jesus. It changes everything. Jesus is, promise, is the promised one that's going to redeem the brokenness that sin brought into the world. He is going to be the one, or he was the one, that crushed the serpent's head. And we, church, are all too aware of the brokenness that exists in this world. You and I, we experience it regularly. In the days before Jesus, people were mostly on their own when dealing with that brokenness and trying to navigate it. But now Jesus has come and has done all that is required so that we have the opportunity to not only know God personally, but to have him, his spirit living inside of us so that when we run into that brokenness in our lives, we are not alone. The spirit of God is there guiding us and directing us through it. When we talk about Jesus changing the human experience, this is what I'm talking about. We don't have to go through life dealing with the brokenness all on our own. God is with us every step of the way if we will trust our lives to him, if we will choose to abide in him. I want you to look at verse 33 and 36 again. I want us to just meditate on this for a moment. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's words since he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God that remains. We are given the Spirit of God and the gift of eternal life. Those that were there when Jesus was baptized experienced the glory of God as he affirmed Jesus and commissioned him to begin the ministry for which he came. 
This was the beginning of the redemption of the world and that the world had been waiting for. These few verses in Luke are the turning point in the history for everything. As followers of Christ, we get to take part in the further revealing of God's glory as we walk in obedience in the call of our daily lives. Where we live, where we work, where we play, where we worship is not happenstance. God does not do those things by accident. God's desire is for us to reveal his glory as we share with the world the truth about who Jesus is. And we've all been given an opportunity to know him and to make him known. Don't let the people in your life live without the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus can completely change how they experience the world. It's so easy for you and I, for followers of Christ, to take for granted the fact that we're not navigating the brokenness on our own. And there are people around us who are doing their very best to figure that out, but they don't have the Holy Spirit because they don't know Jesus. And you and I are the only way they're ever going to know. Paul teaches about that in Colossians. Y'all have heard me say this so many times, you're probably sick of it. But Christ in us is the hope of glory. God's plan to reveal himself to the world is through his followers. That's me and you. Don't let the people in your life suffer through brokenness alone. If you've never accepted Jesus' offer of salvation, don't pass up this opportunity for him to change everything in your life. If you have accepted his salvation, don't neglect the people in your life by not sharing the truth that Jesus can change everything. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for, for the fact that you sent Jesus for us. Father, this week as we're going through the busyness of life, maybe we got tomorrow off and we got an opportunity to just relax. Whatever our weeks look like, they're all going to be different for each of us. Father, I ask that your spirit would be present with us, that you would give us moments to meditate on the beauty of who Jesus is. And Father, that as we're doing that, if we know you, if your spirit lives in us, Father, I ask that you would highlight the people in our lives who are trying to navigate brokenness on their own. Father, I ask that you give us opportunities to share truth and life and love as we're doing life with them. Father, we could speak into their lives in a way that they would come to know you as their Savior. That they would come to understand that you love them enough that you've not left them alone. God, for us personally, as we're dealing with the stresses, with the brokenness of the world this week, God, I ask that your Spirit would speak into those circumstances. Father, that when we tend to feel alone, when we've forgotten that you're there with us, Lord, that you would remind us that you never went anywhere. Father, we would turn our trust and our faith back to you. Jesus, we're so thankful for who you are and for all that you've done for us. We love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to-